Oh, it's so good to be back. Let me lead us in prayer just briefly. Heavenly Father, you've filled your people with your spirit. As we hear your word proclaimed, fill us again and again and again, Lord, for the bold proclamation that Christ saves sinners, even us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there are moments in history when things change. History pivots. It's like a door opening that can't ever be closed again. Everything from then on is different in a fundamental way. And the day of Pentecost was one of those days. What I want you to walk away rejoicing in this evening is that the church is spirit-filled to proclaim God's promises of salvation are fulfilled. The church is spirit-filled to proclaim God's promises of salvation are fulfilled. We, of course, are in Acts chapter 2. We're looking at verses 1 through 21 that Michael just read for us. And you see there in that first sentence the word Pentecost, 50th, 50th. That's what Pentecost means. So on the Jewish calendar, it's the 50th day after the Passover feast. Now, when the day of Pentecost came 2,000 years ago, it was on the occasion of a Jewish feast day that God had commanded his people to celebrate every single year. It happened at the beginning of the harvest season, and every male Israelite had been commanded to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate that feast and another two during the year. Now, nine days before this particular Pentecost, Jesus had ascended into heaven after promising that the Holy Spirit would be given to all his disciples so that they would be his witnesses from Jerusalem to the end of the earth. Now, they were together in the upper room, 120 of them. They were devoting themselves to prayer. And then the Spirit came. The Spirit came with power, and the Spirit propelled them out into the streets of Jerusalem to proclaim the mighty works of God in a miraculous way. That's the first point this evening. Spirit-filled proclamation. Spirit-filled proclamation. We see that in verses 1 through 13. I mean, when the Spirit came, it was sudden. There was the sound like a mighty rushing wind. Of course, there was no wind. There was just the sound of wind. And we know that wind was oftentimes associated with the Holy Spirit all throughout the Old Testament. That sound filled the house. And then something described as tongues as of fire appeared and came to rest on each one of them. In other words, it looked like there were individual flames of fire coming to rest on their heads. Verse four is clear. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, then they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, as it goes on to say in verse four. So there was a loud sound like a mighty wind, and then 120 people, men and women, some younger, some older, all speaking different languages about the mighty works of God. Verse four tells us that's what they were proclaiming. 
And it seems that these spirit-filled followers of Jesus must, of course, have spilled out into the streets because we see that in verses 5 and 6 that there was a huge crowd that gathered to find out what in the world was going on. The huge crowd, of course, was there in Jerusalem because it was the day of Pentecost. And we know from the end of chapter 2 that there were literally thousands that had gathered around the disciples now when they heard that disturbance. Luke tells us there were people in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. And when they heard all these voices in the languages that they knew, it blew them away. How can these Jews, who are from clearly from the rural countryside of Galilee, know our languages? How can that be? They were bewildered, astonished, amazed, perplexed. You see all those words used by Luke in that paragraph. The list of countries represented in the crowd in verses 9 through 11 would test anyone's knowledge of geography. These countries start east of Jerusalem and they work their way around all four points on the compass. I mean, they're meant to represent the world. The world is in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, the world is beginning to hear the mighty works of God through God's church on the first day. These Jews' most important question is there in verse 12. I wonder if you saw it. Look there with me. They ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean that these local Israelites are proclaiming the mighty works of God, telling it in languages that they have no business knowing? This doesn't seem possible. The only conclusion that some of them can come to is that these men are drunk. And so some of them in the crowd, some of these thousands who are gathered around them begin to mock the disciples. This is a unique miracle of God's doing. And one of the first things that we should notice is the amazing timing of God. Who else but God would plan the Holy Spirit's arrival to happen at a time when Jerusalem was packed with people from all over the world? God's plans for his church are better than anything that we could ever dream up for ourselves. We make plans. Of course, we, we pray, we try to be wise, but God is the one who directs our steps. God is in charge of his church. And he is the one who's in control of sending the gospel to the world. And we see it here on this very first day of Pentecost. We plan and we pray, but God is leading us by his spirit, brothers and sisters. We can rest in that. Because so many nations are represented at this once in history event, we can see that the Lord intends the gospel message to be for all people. In today's text, we don't hear the gospel message explained, actually, that's going to come in the last half of chapter two, when Peter stands up to preach. But the Lord is setting the stage. He's already preparing other gospel messengers to go back to their home countries with the news of the gospel that they're about to hear. Did you see that last place that's listed there in the countries? Arabia. Arabia. 
There were Arabs from the Arabian Peninsula there on the day of Pentecost. There have been Arabs who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from 2,000 years ago. God intends for Gulf Arabs to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Might he use us to share the gospel with them? There are precious few Emiratis who have trusted Christ. I've lived here for 18 years. I know of very, very few, maybe only as many as I can count on one or two hands. 18 years. We must pray for them. We must reach out to them. Don't forget where you live, brothers and sisters. No one else, very few other people in the world can reach Emiratis like you. God must have led us here for a reason. Now it's clear that speaking in tongues as described here is a miraculous ability to speak in a known language so that someone nearby who knows that language will hear what the speaker is saying. And in this case, they're hearing the mighty works of God. And as we make our way through the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to continue to learn more and more about what the Spirit does when he takes up residence in those who've trusted in Christ. We'll see it unfold throughout the book of Acts. One of the primary reasons that the Spirit comes to fill us for is to empower us to speak about Jesus and the gospel. As a church, if we're not proclaiming Christ, enabled by the Spirit, we're missing out on one of the primary reasons that we've been given the Spirit. Evangelism, proclamation. Brothers and sisters, when you pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit in your life, are you praying for the ability to boldly share Christ with others? Yes, the Spirit brings comfort to us when we need comfort. Yes, the Spirit helps us make wise decisions, yes. But here, on the first day when the Spirit was given, it was for proclamation. It's one of the main reasons that he's given the Spirit to us as well. We need to be sharing the gospel. This miracle didn't make sense to the crowd that had gathered. Miracles, of course, oftentimes need interpretation. Jesus' miracles amazed people, but many of those people missed the point about who Jesus was, why it had happened. And that's why Jesus' main ministry was teaching. Wherever he did miracles, he stopped and he taught. Now, many of those who gathered to find out what was happening came to the conclusion that these people were drunk on new wine, it says. And so Peter follows in Jesus' footsteps by becoming a teacher. First, he's going to be an interpreter of this strange event to the crowd. He's going to help them know why is this happening? What is the meaning of this? And so his message begins with this main point. God's promises are being fulfilled. God's promises are being fulfilled specifically about salvation. Just as Peter had stood to address the disciples when they replaced Judas with Matthias, now Peter stands to address the crowd. And first of all, he tells the crowd that his compatriots, the rest of the 120, they're not drunk since it's only the third hour of the day, which would have been 9 a.m. We're not filled with wine, Peter essentially says. We're filled with the Spirit. And that means that God's promises in the Scripture are being fulfilled before your very eyes and in your hearing. 
Peter explains what's happening by quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Luke includes that entire scripture for us there. Now, Peter cited scripture needing to be filled, fulfilled just days before when they needed to replace Judas as an apostle. And now he's telling the crowd that scripture is being fulfilled with the coming of the Holy Spirit. The first two verses of the quote from Joel are our verses 17 and 18. Look there at verse 17 first. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God is going to give his Holy Spirit to all kinds of people. That's what it means when it says all flesh. Under the old covenant, it was usually only kings or priests or prophets who were given the Spirit. And even then, when they were given the Spirit, the Spirit's presence wasn't constant. It wasn't permanent. But there was coming a time, Joel had prophesied 800 years before that day, when God would put his Spirit into all kinds of people. Now, the rest of the quote describes the diversity of people who would receive the Spirit. Sons and daughters, men and women, of course. Young men and old men. It wasn't going to matter how old you were. Even servants, both male and female, would receive the Spirit. In other words, it didn't matter what your social standing was. Anyone could receive the Spirit. And the Spirit would enable all of them to prophesy. The quote goes on to say, to see visions and to have dreams through which God would communicate to them. Of course, visions and dreams were the ways that God oftentimes revealed himself to prophets in the Old Testament. These 120 disciples have been filled with the Spirit and they are prophesying. In this passage, prophesying is Spirit-enabled proclamations about God's mighty works. And it likely included praise of Jesus, his ministry, and his life, his death, his resurrection. Now, Peter is announcing to these gathered thousands that these verses in Joel are being fulfilled right now, today. In other words, the last days are finally here. They're beginning. And God is doing an amazing new work that he had promised hundreds of years ago. Of course, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, God had promised that there would come a day when he would put his spirit inside each believer. It was an amazing promise. In chapter 36 of Ezekiel, verse 27, God says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. The day of Pentecost represents a major shift, a turning point in God's plan for history. The Holy Spirit has come and filled each and every believer, no matter what gender, no matter what age, no matter what your social status was. If you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, do you see how the new covenant is far better than the old? Each one of us receives the indwelling spirit if we trust in Christ. That's a promise. And the only way that that is possible is if you and I 
Sinners as we are have been forgiven of our sins and washed clean of our guilt and shame. He is named, of course, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit used to dwell in the tabernacle, the tent that Moses had built to God's specifications described in Exodus. And then Solomon built a structure, a temple that the Spirit filled. But in both of those cases, men were driven out of the tent and out of the temple when God's Spirit filled that tent and that building because sinful men couldn't draw near to the holy presence of God taking up residence there. Now, now, no one is driven out of God's presence, but each person is filled with the very presence of the Holy Spirit. What a gift. What a gracious mercy of God that he would come and make his home inside of each one of us. The indwelling spirit is a sign of the grace that we've been given in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were sinners, shamed and guilty, but his, this loving and holy God sent his only son to die in our place and be raised to new life so that we might have new life in him, brought by the Spirit. This is good news, friends. This is the best news that you will ever hear in your life. I beg of you, I plead with you, believe the good news and you, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will wash you clean. He will take away all of your sin and shame through the work of Christ. That is God's promise, and he will keep it. Now, the next two verses of the quote from Joel, first look backward and then look forward in time. Through Joel, God goes on to promise what we read in verses 19 and 20. Look there with me. He says, wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now, these are mysterious verses, but I believe that the wonders and the signs are describing all of the miraculous events that surrounded the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's how the verses are looking backward. In verse 22, if we were to read on, Peter shifts the focus of his speech to Jesus and points to Jesus's mighty works and wonders and signs. There's no coincidence that he uses those words to talk about Jesus. And we know that the signs and the wonders are going to continue as well. If you've read anything of Acts through the ministry of the apostles, in verse 20, the sun turning to darkness and the moon turning to blood. Now that must refer to the things that happened at Christ's crucifixion. It's written in the book of Matthew, but they must point to even more than that as well. Christ described what would happen on earth before he returned in the future. He did that in Matthew, he did that in Mark. Revelation chapter six describes signs like these happening just before the Son of Man returns. In verse 20, the day of the Lord is a day in the future when everyone will be held to account for the life they've lived. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all answer to him. 
Peter is telling the crowd that the gracious coming of the Holy Spirit is a sign that the last days are here and the last days will end in the last day. The last verse of the quote from Joel tells us what's most important now that we've entered these last days. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. From the day of Pentecost until now, we are in the last days, brothers and sisters. Now is the time of salvation because Christ has come, because Christ has died, because Christ has risen and he is reigning at the right hand of God. Anyone can call on Christ and be saved from the judgment that's coming. We're still in those days. And the spirit is still being given to all who turn to Christ in faith. Have you called on him? Have you taken refuge in him? Have you received the Holy Spirit who applies the saving work of Christ to us individually and personally? Call on Christ, turn to him. The day of the Lord is not here yet, but it's coming soon. Will you be ready? Will you be ready? The day is coming, but this day, this day was a day of grace from God. The day of Pentecost was a day of blessing when the Spirit was poured out on the church so that they could proclaim that God's promises were finally being fulfilled, promises about salvation. The promised Spirit had come because the promised Messiah was risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you sent the Spirit and that the Spirit comes and makes his home in us, indwelling us, all of us who repent and trust in Christ. What a gracious promise. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, please stand with me. Let's sing the doxology to end our service this evening. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>